0: It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years.
1: Good evening and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time, that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarikarpel.com and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, August 1st, 2021. I'm psychologist Dr. Marikarpel and we are back live in beautiful and very hot austin texas and i hope that wherever you are that you're staying safe and you're staying cool while you enjoy this program all right mendoza of accomplice entertainment producer of this program is here with us as usual to make the show run smoothly and we have another great program in store for you this evening In a little while after the break, we'll be joined once again by social justice professor of education, Dr. Sakia Y. Gates, to help us sort out some of what's been happening with regard to social justice issues. For example, there's a lot of confusing messages out there about critical race theory, and Dr. Gates will help us clear up what it is and what it isn't. And along the way, I'll continue with some of my thoughts about emerging from this long 15 or so months to reconnect to our passion, and producer Art Mendoza for Competent Entertainment will top off the show on this side of the mic to let us know what's coming up in later shows. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions, so if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me and I will read them on the air to my guest. And my email is Dr. Mara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A at DrMarakarpel.com. D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website. And later tonight, the podcast to the program, along with any important links that are talked about on the program, will be posted there at DrMarakarpel.com. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio talkradio dot com slash your golden years and it will also be on Apple Podcasts if you prefer. For upcoming shows, upcoming events, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Cartel, Your Golden Years. This evening's program is produced by Compass Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Spiked Up Productions, and sponsored by amightygoodtime.com. Wondering what to do after you're 50? How about having a mighty good time? It's free to search, free to post, and much more. Whether it's in person or virtual, anything can be found to fill your day with others that are in your age group. So be more active and start filling your days. Go to amightygoodtime.com. That's amightygoodtime.com. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. It'll be very brief to play some of our other sponsors' commercials. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. Zakia Y. Gates to talk about social justice in education. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
0: Super psychologist Dr. Mara Karpel will be back after words from our sponsors.
1: If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell in your golden years, right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmarakarpel.com. And now joining us on the phone, once again, we have Professor of Education, Dr. Zakia Y. Gates, to talk about social justice and some of the bigger issues that are going on in education around this topic. Welcome, Dr. Gates. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm going
2: to really enjoy our conversation today.
1: Yes, me too. I've been looking forward to it. I'm so glad to have you back. I hope that you're doing well. Are you doing well up up there in Pennsylvania?
2: Yes, doing very well in Pennsylvania. Yes, we are. Thank
1: you. Okay. Okay, great. So. You know, you've been on not too long ago, but it seems like there's always new stuff coming up. (laughs) Yeah. We we do have lots to talk about. Um, Maybe before we jump into it, you can just give a little brief summary about yourself for listeners who haven't heard you on the show before.
2: Okay, sure. Um, again, my name is Dr. Sakia Y. Gates. I am an assistant professor of teacher education uh, with the university where I, I teach methodology courses and foundation courses to students where I actually use critical race theory as an approach so we can really understand the whole social, political, and cultural context of pre-K to edu- pre-k to 12 education but also pre-k to 20 education as well so a lot of my research is done with critical race theory gender theory and culturally responsive pedagogical practices for upcoming teachers and teacher professionals
1: mm-hmm okay and there there sure is a lot of talk these days in particular about critical race theory it seems like there's a lot of misinformation or disinformation and confusion um, so maybe you can help our listeners to understand what it is and what it isn't. What is okay. what is critical mm-hmm. race theory?
2: <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Again, looking forward to this conversation this evening. But before I even get into what critical race theory is, um, is to introduce mm-hmm. the scholar work of critical race theory which was done by Derrick Bell, law professor and professor with um, Harvard University some years ago. So he gave rise to the whole aspect of critical race theory and others who have joined on board as part of this movement. But critical race theory actually came within the 1970s and it came out of what they call critical legal studies or some people coin as critical legal theory which also uses some elements of radical feminism. But to define critical race theory in the context of his work and others' work have contributed to this, it is defined as an analytical approach and lens that's actually used to critically examine how race, racism, and power are relational, but also how race manifests and how it shows up in policies within the power structures such as economics, politics, education, but also the justice system. So Mm -hmm. this is where and how and why scholars and educators use this lens. So if I were to give an example um, of how race is used as a social construct to explain the reasons why we have um, mandates and certain laws and policies, but right now it's being proposed as voter suppression for people of color that's currently going on in texas right now right
3: mm-hmm. so oh
1: yeah this is, yeah here.
2: this is how mm-hmm. race is being used as as this crutch in voter suppression even though consciously these lawmakers will not say that race has something to do with it this is just a backlash of the outcome of the 2020 presidential election so now they're trying to do mm-hmm. the voter suppression thing um but another way that critical race is actually used is to explain and to explore why we have racial inequalities. Because one of the many arguments that I've been presented with as to why some people want to ban critical race theory are people's beliefs that, well, it won't change anything. And you're right to a certain extent. But what it will do is it allows us and our students are part of the us to conduct what educators call a deep dive and understanding as to why we have racial inequalities, gender inequalities today, so it provides this context that shapes why people conduct in racial undertones and overtones, and it gives us context to implicit biases and context to microaggressions as well. Um, mm-hmm. And another point to um, critical race theory is that it's also using an example of economics, because it helps us to explain the wealth gap and wealth disparities along with health gaps and health disparities among whites and blacks, people of color, and women. So
3: it, mm-hmm. to
2: we're like, hmm, okay, why is that? But, but it also allows us to look into poverty a little bit deeper as well and, and to examine poverty as a way of design, which is a policy choice, but not a personal choice of people making bad decisions with money, where mm-hmm. that's like a socialized stereotype of families that live in poverty, but not so much when it's white families who live in poverty. Because white families who live in poverty are not giving the same racial overtones of they're lazy, they just don't want to work, and they're sucking the system dry or our tax money. That's more so used for black and brown families who live in poverty. So one book that people maybe should read or haven't read already to explain all this, mm-hmm. put in context, is called The Color of Law. And it gives a uh-huh. whole analysis about the segregation of America and how that happened, but that 's like a general overview of um critical race theory right
1: so yeah it 's interesting because I think um, what people are are you know believe wrongly is that it 's about teaching that you know everybody's, you know everybody who 's white is racist and Uh, That sort of thing, and it's more about the actual what causes the disparity in the justice system, and as he said, in the economic system. It's the it's the background that we don't ever talk about. Like, why is it that um, why is it that there are more people of color in in prison than there are white people? Why is it that there's more crime? In certain neighborhoods, why is it that some neighborhoods, you know, why is it the poverty? But people just look at it at face value, and it sounds like what you're saying is it's like it's the background. It's the undertone that how policies have been set up to create that disparity.
2: Yes, yes. And with critical race theory, other things start to come out of this scholarship and this work. So if we were to get into just very briefly before I get into some of the Tenets, if time allows, it really helps uh-huh. us to build this context into what you Just said about the whys, the whys, or um, some white people are assuming that, Oh, it's going to teach my, my, you know, children of color to hate my white child In school, and it's nothing about that. This is a theory, and right now mm-hmm. law mar- lawmakers are really um, – they're fearful of what could actually come out of this. So I'm going to get into the whole teaching aspect of CRT in a minute, but out of critical race theory comes other things like intersectionality, which is the work of Dr. Kimley Kimley Crenshaw, where she looks at how race and gender and other identities intersect, but how those intersectional identities play a role in our experiences in society. But also Mm -hmm. we would have delved a little bit deeper into it As part of that in CRT, you have what's called disability critical race theory, which is called DISCRIT. And that focuses in on students of color with disabilities, but also examining the overrepresentation of students of color in special ed programs where they're underrepresented in STEM and underrepresented gifted. If we were to speak to what you just er said earlier about why are there more people of color in prison, it goes to explain the whole school to prison pipeline. And why mm-hmm. this actually happens. So this is what critical race theory and intersectionality combined, coupled with this, allows us to do. So speaking more to that, um, critical race theory has about, they have these tenets that come along with it. But before I even get into mm-hmm. the tenets, critical race theory is an approach that cannot be taught in any school. So when I hear lawmakers saying we have to stop them from teaching it in our schools, it's never been taught. There's no way yeah, anyone can teach. <laughs> yeah, right. There's. I, I use theories all the time in my courses, and I'm not teaching it. I'm using it as an approach to get my students to understand the context of now. Mm-hmm. So w- one of the analogies I like to use when it comes to the word teaching, and they're being very, very um, manipulative with the language that they're using, these lawmakers are saying taught. So, if I were to bring up how I was taught to make a certain dish in my, my home, my mother was the one who was, was responsible for that. And she started off by making it first. I couldn't touch anything. I had to sit back and watch. Then her and I, we did it together. And then she took a step back. and She watched me doing it on my own. But she taught me the basics so I can get to the outcome of it. And then she gave me an assessment as to how I did by tasting my dish. But this happened multiple times. So I'm using that analogy to explain that critical race theory cannot be done that way of a I do it first, we do it together, Mm -hmm. and now all of you do it on your own. There's just no way that can happen. So there are no educators who are standing in front of a class and saying, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three to critical race theory. Now everyone is done.
1: It's not the case. Not the case. Um so however, is it is it even mm-hmm. discussed at all? Is it discussed at all in k through twelve?
2: It's not so much a discussion that educators facilitate as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, it's gonna be my assumption that educators are using critical race theory as an approach, but they're they're not calling it that, and I think some of them don't even know the fact that they're using it, which makes it great, <laughs> you know uh-huh. so Critical race theory has tenets that go along with it based on the work of Derrick Bell and others who have contributed to the work. So one of the tenets of critical race theory is the whole social construction of race, right, and how this was based on a historical context of, you know, we talk about the Dred Scott decision, the three-fifths of a human being, and so forth,
1: okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: So there's, an, there's a teacher in, we'll say, a fourth grade classroom, And they're discussing race. And the teacher starts to say, well, you know, race is something that's made up. Now, fourth graders are probably not able to understand when a teacher says, hey, race is socially constructed. They're fourth graders. They're fourth graders. So a way a teacher can explain that using the tenet of critical race theory is to discuss SpongeBob. Because I know most children love SpongeBob. So you've got to make it culturally Uh relevant, right? Well, some adults do, too, but that's a different conversation. Um, but, but there was a, a clip of SpongeBob where he was talking to Squidward, and he was talking about how he heard about a rumor. So SpongeBob said five times, I know this guy who knows this guy who knows this guy who knows this guy. And he kept saying this phrase over and over and over again, which gave the outcome of this rumor. Okay? And the rumors are all false mm. anyway. So Mm -hmm. I say to teachers, use that clip of Spongebob to make the analogy to explain race is socially constructed by telling your students, okay, Spongebob said this, this is how you know you're white, this is how you know you're black, this is how you know you're X, Y, and Z, because a guy told this guy who told this guy told this guy that you were supposed to be white because of X, Y, and Z. So you Mm -hmm. have to make it culturally relevant to them. They watch Spongebob, that's the connection there. So that's one of the tenets Without teachers saying, hey, I'm going to teach you how to use this tenet. They're not going to do that. And they shouldn't do that because critical race theory is an approach, not a teachable concept. Right. So that's, that's okay. one of the tenets. Yeah. Another tenet that more educators probably do focus on is a tenet that's called storytelling and counter-storytelling. Okay. And this can be used in social studies, but especially in history or literature or the language arts or English content areas, right? So one of the examples I can bring up to explain storytelling and the countermeasure to this is to bring up the historical figure of Abraham Lincoln, okay? And Mm -hmm. we're told the basics, we're only told the basics about Abraham Lincoln. So we're told he's the 16th president. Um, his face is on the $5 bill. Um, he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth in the head in the movie theater. Um, uh-huh. And that he signed, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation and freed all the black slaves. That's what we're given, right? Right, but right. Th- that's the story of Abraham Lincoln. But if teachers want to use a counter story approach to that, Then maybe teachers should bring up what happened in 1862, three years prior to Lincoln being assassinated, where he was involved in the Dakota uprising, which was the conflict between the United States and the Dakota, who was a Native American tribe. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. And
2: if those who are wondering, why am I discussing the Dakota and not the black slaves, it's because we've been given that information that he freed the slaves, but it was an assumption. But... If people really look up, and teachers included, look at the etymology of the words Emancipation Proclamation, then you can tell your students that he really free black slaves. That that should cause some type of a discussion there, right?
1: Uh But
2: with the Dakota Native American tribe, it was discovered that the countermeasure that Abraham Lincoln signed into executive order to have 39 Dakota men who were Sioux Native Americans lynched.
1: That part really? was never said
2: Yeah yeah. This part was never said So
1: Yeah, no, I never April, learned that in yeah. school
2: <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't either And I wonder how many other young people don't know that Because with this tenet of critical race theory Of storytelling, counter-storytelling Is to teach this content of social studies and history For social justice Is to teach it like a Clint Eastwood movie You have to teach the good That was the good part Right. No, you have to teach the good, you have to teach the bad, and you have to teach the ugly. Mm-hmm. Other than that, mm-hmm. how are young people going to think critically about anything? Right. So yeah. So that's right. that's but, part of that that tenet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think basically, in when I was in school, and it probably mm-hmm. is even more so, things were taught very much at face value, um, the good and the bad, good versus bad. And there wasn't yeah. a lot of there wasn't a lot of, you know, comp- being you know, people are complicated. <laughs> and even yeah, presidents exactly. are complicated. <laughs> yeah. They're they're human
2: beings like all of us. They make there are um, mistakes that are made. Some may be intentional, some are unintentional, but they make them. <laughs> and,
1: and they were products of the time that they were born. Right?
2: Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, big product of that, yes. So um, just a couple more examples of this storytelling encounter, which is one of my favorite tenets, and a lot of my doctoral students in their research use this particular tenet. Sometimes they have a tough time connecting it, but it just takes time to connect it, that's all. Um, but questioning why was that not always told to us, right? Um, the whole thing with Christopher Columbus, we know there's a counter story to that. Um we know that there's a counter story to the westward expansion under Thomas Jefferson and what the Native Americans would think with people who want to buy, you know, land and property and call it their own. But what do the Native Americans think about that? So that's the counter story approach that more educators, you know, need to use. Um, a counter story approach as far as Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., where we only talk about his I Have a Dream speech, which... Mm-hmm. Not a problem with that. No issue with that. But more just I just want
1: to. I just want mm-hmm. to interrupt you for a second, back Cape. Yes. we're having a big storm here, so if we Boom. get knocked off <laughs> the internet, that's why okay. and we'll jump on and back on as soon as we can. I just wanted to tell you that because I heard a loud clap of thunder. So okay. Oh no problem. That's, that's I, I was wondering when there was too. <laughs> yeah. No problem. Hopefully no problem that that hopefully that won't happen. So okay, yeah, so let's go back to, Dr. Martin Luther King and the I Have a Dream. Yes,
2: yes. Um, and you know one of the the things he talked about within his um, you know his speeches and his teachings was about the fierce urgency of now, about what we have to do as of right now, not years later, but what we have to do now so we can have this dream of unity and equality and so forth, but in America, we're, we're still working towards that. But no one talks about um, some of the, the counter stories that Dr. King actually presented about his view of education, where he saw education uh, without social action as a one-sided value because it has no true power potential. And you can't have it hmm. that way. If you have education, you need social action along with it or else it's one-sided. And that's hmm. what you have to have. Here, you really do. And he said that in his book, where do we go from here, chaos or community, right? Uh But if educators are really into social action when it comes to um, promoting, keeping critical race theory, even though it's not taught in schools, it's used as as an approach. So I had to question lawmakers, how would you know I was using the approach? How would you you come up with that? You know, um, no teachers are making that announcement to do that at all. It's just being used without saying I'm using it. That's all. So right with those um, those two tenets, there are actually six of them in all. But it's you know a lot of reading on that as well. And I know we're pressed for time, but um, the counter storytelling and storytelling is the one where educators probably would focus more. Without saying this is the tenant that I'm using for today's class,
1: mhm mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so it's really it's really about teaching history in more depth and giving mm-hmm. students a chance to kind of figure out you know come up with their own ideas about it. Is that right? Yes, it's
2: absolutely correct, and with that being said, if educators are thinking about um, lobbying for critical race theory in their classrooms and use it as an approach, the standards that are set in their respective states where they are certified will always protect them. I won't really say too much about teacher unions because a lot of them are just trying to stay afloat right now with everything that's Uh going on, but teachers' standards will protect them because the point you just made, Mara, was about we want students to be able to draw their own conclusions on what's being presented. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the terminology that's actually used in standards that are created by the state, (laughs) these same lawmakers probably created by the state, have words in there such as assess and judge, evaluate, examine, analyze, draw your own conclusions. These these words are set in stone in standards, and they have been for the past 20 or 30 years. So now Mm -hmm. we have to ask the question of, why do lawmakers want to deviate from that, but the standards are saying otherwise counter to what they're saying? So if educators are afraid, and which I do understand, we're either lobbying for a critical race theory or using it as an approach, and they're afraid of the backlash, they have to remember that the standards will protect them, and just making mm-hmm. sure that educators be their own attorneys, so to speak, since we wear so many hats to be able to explain to the administrator and maybe an irate parent, because it will happen, how does that standard and what you did connect to what you presented in your content? And they
1: should be safe Mm
2: -hmm. at that point. Right. They should really be safe. So
1: what do you say to parents who hear all this disinformation and are scared that somehow it's going to make their children feel like they're bad people or something? I'm not really sure what they even think but
2: Yeah, I've I've heard some of it already. Um uh-huh. what, what parents could actually do is and there was a, a recent poll out, maybe about a couple of years back, that sixty three percent of white parents do not talk about racism with their children. Which means really? it's just the opposite that you know, over thirty percent of them actually do, but thirty seven is still like a small number. So I would advise More parents, white, black, other people, start having these courageous, open conversations. You have to have uncomfortable conversations with your children. If we can have uncomfortable conversations about sex with our children, we have to put something on top of that that's more uncomfortable than that, and that's talking about race. Because I don't know how some parents can talk about gender differences in their homes but not talk about race differences in their homes. That can be a big Mm -hmm. issue. But more parents need to start having those conversations. But how you break down that barrier is a million-dollar question because some of these parents right now are just being irrational. And and I know it's it's emotional, but just because someone is using critical race theory as an approach – has nothing to do with hatred of anyone else. This is about bringing everyone together and bringing everyone up to make us think more critically about what's going on so we can come to the table together for solutions against a system that oppresses us all on different levels. That's what this right. is doing for us. You yeah. Know, um, yeah. Yeah. And that's what it's doing. I, I even think some, there are some whites out here who were, I'll say duped, young people may say played, um, by the system of white supremacy to actually think, oh, if someone talks about race, that means I'm a bad person. Not at all. It's just making people aware about what's going on and how can we resolve these issues that we're having so we can unify against something that may be bigger than what we are right now.
1: Right, right. Um, I, I think some children um, some children are taught that, you know, we don't see color. Mm-hmm. We're colorblind. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's mm-hmm. how they're duped. I think that's how they're played. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. you you may not see color. You may think everybody's the same, which is wonderful. That's a great thing. Yeah. But you need to know that the system hasn't the system definitely sees color and it isn't going to change unless everybody unless everybody notices that. <laughs> Exactly. Um and that's
2: that's another um thing within critical race theory is the whole notion of color blindness. And when people say when I look at you, I don't see your your race, I don't I don't see you as black, I don't see you as this. Well, ask the question. If you were not able to see me as black, how are you able to notice blackness in what you just said? <laughs> you noticed something right. when you looked at me, you know? Um And that can be a a dangerous statement if educators or if anyone uses, I don't see you, I don't see you. Because if you don't see me, Mm -hmm. you don't see any of me. You don't see my gender at all either. So how would women feel if men said to be politically correct with women for equality purposes, but men said, hey, Mara, when I look at you, I don't see you as a woman. I just see you as a person. but uh-huh. I am a woman.
1: <laughs> I am, and that has a
2: lot to do with, you know, race and gender. It has a lot to do with the wealth gap. It has a lot to do with health disparities, and how we're treated in hospitals. The relationship with our doctors has a lot to do with this. So that's what critical race theory does for all of us. But we just have to see it as an approach, and a lens of a theory, but not as a teachable concept, because that's not what it is.
1: Right, right. And and I think that people need to get over that feeling that. Um, you're, I, like, I, like I said, I think positive thing, and I understand that to understand that we are all people, and you know, our blood is the same color, and and our organs are the yes. same color, and so I see you, you know, and children are taught love. Every, you know, they that some of children are taught in the spirit of love that you know everybody yes. is the same, right? But to be able yes. to then say, well, in reality we're not treated the same. So you do have to see it (laughs) because then you're not. This is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're not going to be able to help the situation if you're, if you say that you don't see people's color or you don't see people's gender or you don't see people's disabilities. Yes,
2: Um, um, exactly. And um, mm -hmm. just to add to that is the simple fact that, um, It really boggles my mind that we we talk so much about love, and I I, I am. I'm all about love of people, but we need more than that because without love, there's no justice. Without justice, there's no love. So Mm -hmm. we we keep going back to love, and I, I understand that. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing from the spirit and from the heart and for the common good. But now it needs to be more actionable steps within our classrooms, our campuses, universities, and everywhere else where it starts to transform into justice for people. I remember right. reading um, this, this post very quickly on Facebook where someone said, um, we, we're forced to say the Pledge of Allegiance about liberty and justice for all, but then when we want liberty and justice for all, people are upset. <laughs>
1: Yeah. you know which,
2: which goes back to the whole thing about justice and it was it was so true so we have love and that's great and that's wonderful out of respect but now we need cold-hearted justice at this point and hopefully approaches like critical race theory to help our students to get into the whys instead of the what because they're going to be the mm-hmm. ones that are going to take this by the rain in the future this is going to be them, right. our young people, right. and mm-hmm. they're trying to at this time manipulate our young people's minds to think anything but, you know, about critical race theory and how it does help us to understand the deep dives into racial inequality. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah.
1: And and you know, I don't know if you know. This is how I see it. I don't know if you if this is what you see with your students, but it seems like younger people really are much more aware than, than they're giving credit for in terms of what's really happening in the world. Yes,
2: much more aware, much more cognizant, much more what they say, woke, <laughs> as
3: our young people right. say
2: it all the time. Um,
3: uh-huh.
2: They're much more resilient um, to, to what's going on, but at the same time need some self-needed breaks as well. Um, I hope they really get into some self-care um too because there is mm-hmm. a lot to to unpack there's a lot that's on them um as well but I'm glad they're in the fight um with this they're a lot more accepting of uh-huh. um accepting of not accepting the social injustices that happen to people of color women those with disabilities and I'm glad to see a lot of white allies who are on board too so that that's always mm-hmm. um a great thing for
1: that to happen too because right. we need that <laughs> much needed. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, I think in every situation we always need allies, you know, I think yeah. to mm-hmm. do it alone um, is a big, <laughs> it's a big undertaking and, um, you know, I just remember when I was a kid and um, my mom took me to March for Equal Rights for Women, my dad was there too, you know, so same kind yeah. of thing.
2: That's mm-hmm. great. That's wonderful. That and that's needed. That is needed. So yeah, yes. as a male ally for women's rights, yes. White allies for racial justice, exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, so Dr. Gates, if people are interested in finding out more about you, or reading up more about these social justice topics, especially critical race theory, do you have any mm-hmm. suggestions? Um, yes, as a matter of fact, there's a
2: wonderful book that was it came out in 2017, but it was right around you know a, a year after the that the election. But it's called Critical Race Theory. It's a overall you know introduction by Richard Delgado and Jean Stefancic. Um, it's a great book. Uh, the forward is by a woman named Angela Harris, but it contains a lot of the uh, research of Derrick Bell um, within the work um, as well. But also, mm-hmm. I am writing a chapter piece on critical race theory in education as we speak. So, um, great. Yeah. So my, the title of this chapter and I have to submit the full chapter by October 28th, but the chapter is called the people versus critical race theory because I feel like critical race theory is on trial. So so I'm trying to set it up uh-huh. as like a law and order type of platform without using law and order per se because of copyright um you know um issues but um I feel like this whole concept is just on trial and yeah it's not it's it's it's, it's not a person critical race theory did not commit a crime but I just feel like it's on trial and it's it seems that these lawmakers are paranoid about mm-hmm. a theory, a simple, simple theory. And people who have a countermeasure to a theory, you can just sum it up by saying, well, critical race theory is a theory until proven otherwise. Until right. lawmakers right. can prove otherwise, then myself and other educators and scholars, we can't stop talking about it or using it as a lens until it's been proven otherwise.
1: Right. So right. if it has, so where is that I'll
2: never th- talk about critical where- race. Mm-hmm.
1: Where's that chapter going to be? Where, where's it going to be published? Um, it's called,
2: and I published another article through the same uh, people with two other colleagues, but it's IGI Publications. So okay. um, a lot of educators and scholars publish their work through there. So once the full chapter has been submitted to them, and I'll get feedback, of course, have to do revisions. Once it's published, um, Mara, I will send you the link so that other people um, can see it too definitely send it yeah to
1: great you. yeah thank yeah. you i'd be really interested in reading it well thank you so much for for being on the program again and bringing some clarity to this topic that has gotten so confusing for people um yes because of all the you know as i said the misinformation and the disinformation out there um so i i really appreciate it and i'd love to have you back on the program maybe when your chapter is is published let me know we could arrange to have you back on okay
2: definitely thank you so much for having me on again and um thank you to all your listeners and everyone be safe and god bless everyone thank you
1: yes thank you have a good evening you too bye-bye bye-bye all right we're going to take a brief break don't go anywhere we'll be right back
0: Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com
1: All right, and we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Maricarpel and your golden years on Maricarpel.com and on blogtalkradio.com. And um, I'm just going to talk briefly before Art joins us, uh, the producer of our program on this side of the microphone um, every week I've been since I've been back from our long hiatus I've been giving a couple of tips about getting back to our passion reconnecting with our passion after this very long uh, time of isolation and stress and you know our focus has been elsewhere and a lot of people have felt that they've lost their passion or maybe the direction has changed and they can't figure out what to do now so i've been giving just a couple of tips here you know each week and so in just in a brief a couple of minutes i'm going to give another tip and that is acknowledge what works and what doesn't in your life so that's one of the tips Nothing should go back to normal. I really don't want things to go back to normal. It wasn't working. Before the pandemic, people were complaining about um, being too busy, not having time to do what they really wanted to do. And, um, you know, there was a lot of stress. So who wants to be back in that stress, in that rat race? this is a good time to ask yourself, what can you let go of? Which is the question I was asking before the pandemic hit. And what were things that you were doing that no longer serves the purpose that it might have at one time? What were things that you were doing before the pandemic that now you realize don't serve a purpose anymore or never really did, or you just don't want to do it anymore? It's not really... It's not necessary, and it doesn't it doesn't bring joy to your life or the lives of other people. Um, are you getting back to doing things because you feel like it's just it was your habit beforehand, and you need to get back to the same old habit? Are you afraid of change? Do you feel a sense of obligation or the belief that? Others think you're supposed to be doing certain activities. What were you doing that started out being great additions to your life, adding joy, but began to change and no longer brought joy prior to the pandemic, and you just don't feel any joy in them now anymore? When we give ourselves permission to change with time, because you know, things do change, and our feelings about things change, and what worked before might not work anymore. Rather than doing everything the same over and over again, it can feel like a great relief, and it can open up space to be able to have more passion about the things that we, re- we are doing and to discover the things that we really want to do now. So. If you've ever heard of Marie Kondo, and she talked about um, cleaning your house, cleaning your mess in your house or in your closet. If it doesn't spark joy, then get rid of it. Same thing with things that you were doing that no longer serve a purpose. If, it doesn't, if, if it's not doing something necessary for your life and for the lives of your family and people in the world, and it's no longer sparking joy, then why are you doing it? And then next time, I'm going to talk about the next part, the next tip that comes from this, which is what new behaviors or habits that you discovered or you picked up during this time of isolation do you kind of like and you want to continue? So let's talk about that next time, but... For now, we're going to go to uh, the producer of this program, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, and he's going to talk about some joyful, passionate things coming up on this program. Hey, Art.
3: I don't know about about joyful and passionate, but it'll definitely be (laughs) good. We're going to talk fast because there's a storm still coming in, and I don't want to get bumped off. The uh, the things that are going to be happening in the future are going to be some new artists that are coming on as well as artists that we've had on before. Uh, one next week will be Errol Wander, who will be a, uh artist that will be coming on as a guest. And then on the uh, 15th of August, we have uh, Kaz Clayton, who will be also coming on. We've had her on. She's an incredible blues artist. And then... Uh, Coming in the future, we're gonna have Juan Diaz, who is the singer for The Brew from Mexico City. I'm working on a project with him, and uh, he'll share it with you when he comes on the air. And then later down, we're gonna have Juan Pablo Garcia, who is a a guitarist, a beautiful guitarist, that I heard at a restaurant in uh, Port Isabel, and uh, playing classical music. So that's really all that's happening right now, and let's get off the air because it's going to get pretty nasty.
1: All right. Before you, you shut me down, let me let everybody know it's coming up next week. All right. So next Sunday, August 8th, we'll be back live from Austin, and we'll be joined right here. Um, From right here in Austin by Dr. Kristen Neff, who's an associate professor in educational psychology at University of Texas, Austin. And she's co-founder of the nonprofit Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And she's joining us to discuss her latest book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. And as you mentioned, as Art mentioned, Errol Wander, musician who played, who I know from high school, we played in the band together, but he's gone on to do much bigger things with music than me. Uh, he's going to join us to talk about how he kept up his passion in music during the pandemic. He's done some really interesting projects. And... We'll play some of his original music. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from the program that was given by Dr. Gates, um, go to my website. And the podcast and all of that information will be posted later tonight after the thunderstorm ends, Drmaricarpel.com, And you can also hear this program in five minutes right on blogtalkradio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years and on my page on Apple podcasts and be sure to follow me on Facebook for future events and shows Dr. Mara Carpell your golden years this show was the productions and psyched up productions and sponsored by a mighty Good special thanks to my guest Dr. Zakia Y. Gates and of course thank you to art Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth have no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
3: Celebon ton roulé. That is what they all say. Celebon ton roulé. That is what they all say. Celebon ton roulé. That is what they all say. Celebon ton roulé. That is what they all say. Et toi? Thank you.
0: Guidance offered by Dr. Carpel is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpel, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show.
2: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.